Well, back in the early summer, I coached my last baseball game. I am now retired as a baseball coach. And the reason for that was because my youngest son, Alex, had uh, gotten into high school. He's going to be playing with the high school team. And so rec baseball um, doesn't really fit into our schedule anymore. And this is kind of sad for me. You know, I'd spent about five or six years coaching these boys fall and spring and, and doing this with my sons. And so um, it's, you know, kind of taking a step back from their lives, but also being part of the community in this way. So when that came to an end, I had this kind of moment of evaluation where I had to stop and think, God, how are you going to put me in the lives of people within my community? Where do I have an opportunity to make disciples beyond, you know, the church world and my family? Where, where can I have an impact? And so here in the fall, I've been kind of taking, taking advantage of two different opportunities. One, um, I get to go to Rachel's school as part of their watchdogs programs where they have dads come in and just help out in the school for a day. And so I've been trying to do that on a pretty regular basis. But then I've also been going out with Mercy Drops to feed homeless people downtown and in Craddock uh, about once a week with a team of folks and so we just take lunches out to them, been donated by 7-Eleven or Food Lion. And it's been a good opportunity just to connect with people that I wouldn't otherwise connect with. And so I tell you that story today just because we get to these moments in our lives where seasons wind down and we need to be looking for the next opportunity, right? Because God wants to use us in the lives of the people around us where we live, work, study, and play and you may be at the threshold of one of those kind of, kind of, of evaluative moments today. Now, I, I know it's almost a cliche at this point, the, the New Year's message, New Year, New You, right? And uh, resolutions, I think we, we joke about resolutions more than we actually make them anymore. But I, I just want to challenge you, just for a second, don't, don't just go down that path of scoffing and giving up. Just keep in mind, all right, there's, there's this author named Daniel Pink, and he, he's written several books, but one of his books is called When, and it's kind of a, a casual study of the best time to do things, you know, and it's, it's kind of in this genre of maximizing our abilities and our potential and making the most of who we are, and so Part of his point is that when we, whenever we have new beginnings in our world, like a new month, or a new week, or on a birthday, or a new year, then we just are naturally inclined to do a better job incorporating change into our lives. It's, we're just wired that way. It's part of our rhythm. So I want to I want to just help us all observe for a second where we are here Sunday, December 31st, 2023. Tomorrow is Monday, right? It's the beginning of a new week. It's January 1st. It's the beginning of a new month. And it's 2024. It's the beginning of a new year. You couldn't line it up any better unless it was your birthday tomorrow for, this, for a new beginning, right? And for there to be change that takes place in your life. And now, let's, let's take a moment and be honest, right? None of us have arrived yet, right? Like, we all need to change at least a little bit. We all have our flaws and our foibles. 
There are things that God wants to change in us to make us more effective for the kingdom, right? There are things that our spouses want to change in us, right? There are things that our kids want to change about us. There are things that our parents want to change about us. And so this is a a moment where I just urge you to just say, God, I'm yours in 2024. What do you want me to be? For your glory. That's what, we're, that's what we're for. That's what we've been created for. That's what we've been redeemed for. We are to be for God's glory. And so what does that look like in the year to come? And I'll just kind of give you, I'll give you the answer here. What, what we should be striving for is to be like Jesus, right? We should, we should be striving to be like Jesus. We're called Christians because Christians comes from the word Christiani, the Latin word, Christiani, little Christs. Even, the, it was kind of a derogatory term that people used to talk about people of faith in the early days after Jesus. Even they recognized, even the enemies of Christ recognized that his people were trying to be like him, that they aspired to be like him. And even beyond this, Jesus himself tells us to be like him. He gives us that instruction. In Matthew 10, which is actually connected to the passage we're looking at today in Luke 10, he, he lays down this kind of axiom that a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. So let's be like Jesus in 2024. Now, we're going to look at a passage here in Luke 10 in a minute. Um, And one of the challenging things when we come to the scriptures, when we come to the gospels and we say, I want to be like Jesus, show me the way, God. So we get in here and there's a lot of teaching. Jesus does a lot of talking in the gospels. There's there's actually not a lot of action. Like if we, Jesus, show me the way. How do I make disciples wherever I live, work, study, and play? It's, It's actually kind of hard to tease some of that out. I mean, certainly he's doing miracles amongst people, but that in my day-to-day, that's a high bar. I haven't accomplished a miracle yet, I don't think. Um, you know, and, and he speaks with an authority that we can aspire to, but it's, you know, it's difficult on a day-to-day basis. But I think there is a valuable principle for us in, in just seeing how much Jesus talks with people. In order to speak the way he does with people, you have to be radiating love to people. You have to demonstrate commitment to them. You have to be building trust with people, right? And, and more than anything else, I think the fact that we see Jesus talking with people so much just shows us how relational he is, that making disciples is intensely relational. And so we have to be always people-oriented. I, I tend to be a little task-oriented. I don't get excited about checking the box and knocking the things off the list, and sometimes I forget that people are involved in that. We, always, we have to be people-oriented as people who follow Jesus. So let's take a look here at Luke 10. So we'll start in verse 1 and see if we can tease out here some ideas from when Jesus instructs his disciples to go out and make more disciples. See what we can learn for 2024 as we try to be like Jesus here. So Luke chapter 10, verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. We'll, we'll 
sent out his 12 disciples. Kind of in the same way. It looks very similar to what we'll read in these next few verses. Do you see the multiplication that's already taken place? This is now a six-fold multiplication. Twelve in six groups has now become 72 in 36 groups of pairs that are going out, right? So Jesus sends these 72 disciples out. In verse 2, he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So we see Jesus sending his disciples out, away from one another, and into the places where Jesus himself will go. You see a picture of the church here in this? We're gathered together this morning, but in a, in a few moments here, we're going to go scatter, and I think we all have the day off tomorrow, or I hope, I hope all of us do, but then we're going, we're going to go back into our neighborhoods, and then we're going to go out into our workplaces and our schools, and we're going to have these opportunities to go to all these places where we hope Jesus will come in full glory, right? To reveal himself to these people. And so we're, we're everyday missionaries going to dark, forgotten, forlorn places, places that need Jesus. And it's ideal if we go take a friend with us when we go to those places, right? It's great if in your workplace you have that other person who you know loves Jesus, and you guys can pray together and strategize together. And if in your school you know you have a buddy who's committed to following Jesus, getting to know him, and, and loving classmates, right? Being a good student, helping teachers out. Um, as we go into those places, we're just trying to make a way for Jesus to come in and to work. We're, we're carrying his Holy Spirit in us, and we're just trying to introduce the people there to the presence of Jesus, to make them aware that God's Spirit is here. There is truth that impacts your life. There is love that impacts your life. There is forgiveness and hope waiting for you in the darkness, the forgottenness, the forlornness. And so, just to go back to what I talked about at the beginning, when we go out with Mercy Drops uh, every Thursday, we've gotten so we have a pretty consistent team that goes out. And there's, there's Ron, who's a member of Horizon Community Church, and he leads our team. And then there's Star, who's his right-hand gal, and she's part of Seven Cities Church. And it's cool to see churches working together like this, or at least members of churches working together like this. And Sharon's faithful, and she comes out every week with me and with us. And, and then there's this girl named Grace, who recently trusted Jesus. She was coming out and helping us 
just because she wanted to. She thought it was good to help out people and feed hungry people in the streets. And Grace found Jesus in the midst of doing this. And we were, we were, I wasn't personally there, but our team was with her that day when she decided she wanted to follow after Jesus. And they got to pray with her. And so we have this beautiful picture of this team going out together on a regular basis to these dark places, the streets, downtown Portsmouth. We go, we go to King Street behind the Trinity Episcopal Church. Uh, we go to the Food Lion next to Norcom High School. And we go out to Craddock and they can be dark places. They are forgotten places, for sure. They are forlorn places. But we get, we get to bring a little bit of light and hope to these folks when we go out as this team. Well, as Jesus' disciples go out, as the church goes out into our world, what is our ultimate goal? What does Jesus say the ultimate goal here is? He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly that the Lord would send out laborers. So our goal as we go into these dark, forgotten, forlorn places, as we try to be like Jesus, we're not just trying to increase the Jesus fan club, just adding more names to the roles. We're not just looking to baptize people. Baptism is important, by the way. I don't mean to demean that. But it's just people identifying with Jesus, saying, I'm with him now. No, we're looking for fruitful, productive laborers. Like Not just that we can check somebody's name off and say, all right, you're going to go to heaven when you die. That's important. It's vital. It's eternal. But there's more that God has designed for us. It's that we go out and impact the world around us now with that same love that's transformed our lives. And so our goal is to make more disciple makers. Our goal is disciple makers not converts, not just people who say, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm with him now, and then you just sit. No, now you invest your life in somebody else, multiply. And then as we see a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus, somebody decide, I'm going to trust in Jesus' death, his sacrifice to pay for my sin, his resurrection that brings new life once we see somebody do that. Now they go to the dark and forgotten and forlorn places and share that hope, that reality of the gospel of who Jesus is and introduce more people to Jesus. And as God works, as his Holy Spirit transforms the lives of those people, then we see those people come into the kingdom of God. And then they should now go to the dark and forgotten and forlorn places. And you see how that just multiplies. It's a snowball and it accumulates. Our goal is disciple makers, not converts. Laborers, not a mere harvest of souls. Well, so we've already identified kind of this general principle here that Jesus is highly relational as he goes out and he tries to make disciples. So that's something for us to be like. But I see five, at least five more principles in here that I think are helpful for us to be like Jesus, to follow his teaching, and to make disciples like he made disciples. And so uh, one of the principles that I think is just all throughout this section is that we are to trust in God's full sufficiency. As we go out into the world, we are... And, and we have a message of Jesus. 
Jesus tells us in many other places, he tells us here, we're going to open, or we're going to face hostility. Open hostility, and then underlying hostility. We're, it's just kind of passive. You know, we don't necessarily know, somebody's not shouting in our face, but there's a tension as we seek to love people in the name of Jesus. And as we go out into unknown places with unknown people, it's natural to have fear, Right? I can honestly say in the time we've spent serving lunches to people in downtown Portsmouth, I've really only had one moment, I don't know if I was even afraid, but that, that tended toward fear. This, this dude came up, and I, I think he was probably under the influence of some kind of substance, but he was, he was just singing, but he was singing about like how awful things are. <laughs> like, it's a terrible day, and here are all these people to give me lunch, but the lunch is terrible. I mean, that's not what he said, but it was that kind of thing, you know? And he gets like real close to me, and he's singing in my face, and I'm just smiling, you know, like, how, how do you love this, this dude who's not having a great day, I guess? But, but he's singing, so it's kind of weird, you know? It's like perverse sound of music or something. Um, And thankfully, Sharon, with a background in social work, recognized that it was a little bit of a confrontational moment, and so she just kind of redirected him. Um, And it was all good. He walked off. He just wanted money, but we don't go out there with money. We go out there with prayer and with love and with, you know, the donated food that we have. Um, So he headed off. But it's easy for us when we go out to people, we have no idea what's there, right? And it's easy to have this fear. But that's part of why we have to go because that fear most times is unfounded. Especially if we're going with Jesus, like Jesus is going to protect us, right? And so it's important for us to, to kind of diffuse that fear, to pull the rug out from underneath it. And, and it's easy for us to see people as the enemy sometimes or as other when really we're all just kind of, we're in the same boat. It's just some people have a better seat than others, you know. But the boat's going down unless, unless you find a way to get into the life raft. You know, the boat's going down. We're all in that same boat, right? Um, and so we need to trust in God's full sufficiency in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our uncertainty of other people. And when we get amongst people like that, we learn about God. You know, when we, when we challenge our expectations, when we challenge our comfort zone, well, now we see God show up and we realize, oh, I am safe and secure in this environment. And we learn things about ourselves like, oh, I I can trust in Jesus. I just need to, I need to try, right? And we learn things about other people too. I have to tell y'all, like I've, I paid good money to, to learn some theological stuff. I've had a lot of great mentors along the way. I've learned some things, some street theology from the conversations I've had with people. And there are, there are people who know profound things about life and about who God is and what it means to follow Jesus. I've had pretty eye-opening conversations with people as I've been out there on the street, stuff that I've never heard from folks here in the church. It's just a different perspective on life that they have. Well, God, Jesus also instructs these folks to go out without supplies. So this is like, now they really have to trust in the full sufficiency. Yeah, there might be hostility. Yeah, they might have some fear, but that's kind of all abstract. But if you go out with, and you don't have lunch with you, you don't have clothes with you, now you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. You really need God's sufficiency to show up. 
I think there's also another reason that this is helpful. That God, Jesus wants them to be needy as they go. And you recognize what happens when you're in a position of need vis-a-vis somebody else rather than plenty, like I, I'm self-sufficient. You see that there's some pride that comes with self-sufficiency. Like I don't need anything from anybody. I got it. I, I got it covered. I'm all good. But when you need something, like you're hungry, even, even when you're bringing the gospel to somebody, well, if they can serve you a meal, now there's, there's a trade that takes place. I don't mean some transaction. I don't mean to boil this down to something crude like that, but it's mutuality. It's sharing with one another, right? You put yourselves on an equal plane when you allow somebody to give to you. So Jesus wants his disciples as they go out with the eternal truth of God to be needy so people can serve them and that they don't, have, they don't show up with all the answers and all the stuff. There's not pride in their self-sufficiency. Allowing our needs to be met disarms people. People like to be helpful, right? You like to be helpful. And so when, when we have needs that they can meet, well, now we, we're able to engage in a sharing relationship. So a second principle here for us, first we want to trust in God's sufficiency, but a second principle is we need to let people share with us. We need to be willing to do that instead of having all the answers and being self-sufficient. Well, another, another aspect, I think, of Jesus telling them not to take this stuff along with them, not to pack their suitcase and wheel it along with them, it just helps them avoid distractions and stay focused. So this is another principle for them, to avoid distractions and stay focused. If they're all the time worried about uh, what they're going to do with their stuff, right, that, it's distracting them from their mission. Oh, where's a safe place for us to keep this while we go, you know? No, if you don't have any stuff to worry about, it's just you trust in God to provide a meal for you. And so, along with this idea, Jesus tells them, don't greet anybody on the way. And so, that, at, at that point in this passage, I'm starting to scratch my head. I'm like, Jesus, this is a little counterintuitive. Like, these people are supposed to go out and impact people, but they're supposed to ignore the people that they pass on the road? And I... Jesus is just saying, no, you have a destination. You have a purpose. There's an intent, and you need to be faithful to that. So don't spend time on the road greeting people, because otherwise you're never going to get to where you're supposed to go. Or when you get to where you're supposed to go, you're going to be all talked out, and you're just going to want to go to sleep. And of course, you don't know where you're sleeping, because you've got to find somebody in the town, right? He tells them to stay at one house. Don't just go hopping from house to house. Stay at the one house. Again, stay focused. Don't worry about these details, they're supposed to have one source for all. And yeah, in the physical world, it's going to be this one house. There will be one person who takes compassion on their needy situation and provides for them, but ultimately it's God who's providing for them in a miraculous way, right? If you've ever been in this kind of situation where you're, oh God, I got nothing. I'm just relying on you for my next meal or, um, you know, my next, next bit of provision he learned some things about God's faithfulness in the midst of that. And, and gratitude and all of these good things that connect us in our relationship to the God who provides all for us. Well then, as far as strategy goes here, Jesus tells them in this place that you go to, find a person of peace. 
I think this is a big idea for us as we seek to go into the areas where God's placed us and we try to make disciples of Jesus. We try to help people discover who he is, embrace who he is, and then embrace their mission to impact other people. He says, find a son of peace. Find a person of peace. And so this is somebody who's interested in the fact that you follow Jesus, that they're asking questions. They want to, they want to know what it looks like for you. you know, why do you pray? Why do you go to church? Um, what is... Why do you read the Bible? What does this have to do with life? And then you work with that interested person. Help them cultivate their interest, but also you help them reach their network. So we have this this mentality sometimes of, I'm going to such and such country, or I'm going to such and such community, and we just feel like, I'm going to connect with everybody in that community, and, and it all happens through me as the missionary And Jesus is giving us a different paradigm. He's saying, find one person who has influence in that network and enable that person to reach their own network. You see the difference? Versus me trying to reach all those people that I've never met before and with whom I have no credibility and that it probably will take years to build up credibility that they'll want to listen to what I have to say. Versus the one person who's there in their midst that they know and trust. And yeah, they recognize their flaws and weaknesses, but... That person has way more credibility than I do. So Jesus says, go find that person of peace who has influence in the network and then enable that person to reach their network. We'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like in a second here, but for us with our Mercy Drops team, we have a friend at our Food Lion stop by Norcombe High School, and I'll just call her Mrs. T. And uh, she's an official Mercy Drops volunteer herself. She is homeless. It's, it's kind of astounding to me, like somebody who's homeless can still volunteer for this organization and like the, the, it's not an issue for her. Um, she recently, after years, I've, I've known her for a few years here and all that time she's had unstable housing. She was about to move into a place recently, um, had the money, had all the paperwork. Her previous landlord, who, with whom she'd stayed for six years, who, to whom she'd paid all of her rent, but sometimes it wasn't always on time, gave her a bad reference. And so she couldn't move into her new place. So she remains homeless today. She's been homeless the whole time I've known her. And uh, so she knows what it's like for these folks who are coming up to the table to grab a sandwich and a bottle of water. And, uh, man, she has authority over them. Tuesdays are Chick-fil-A days, and so everybody's eager to come get Chick-fil-A. And so she has a ticket system. Like, she comes with printed tickets, and she hands them out to everybody so they stay in line and they don't get out of order. And we make sure that the Chick-fil-A lasts as long as it's supposed to because it doesn't, somehow it doesn't multiply like the fish and the bread. Um, Or maybe it's just way more popular than fish and bread. I don't know. Um, But we could never be as effective with those people they would not be as eager to pray with us. They would not be as eager to come back if it wasn't for Mrs. T there. And uh, she's really the highlight of our excursion on Thursdays anyway because um, she has this signature thing that she does. She, when we arrive, we get everything set up. Then she, she just cups her hands to her mouth and she says, It's lunchtime! And then you start to see people kind of just coming from all corners around, uh, around the neighborhood. And... Um, we would never be as effective if it wasn't for this person of peace, Mrs. T, down there 
by Norcom High School. So we find that person of peace. But then a fifth principle here, what are we supposed to do? What are, what are we trying to accomplish? Yeah, we're trying to make disciple makers, but how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 5, we're to bring peace. We pronounce peace upon this household or this environment. We bring peace. And we bring healing. And the hope of the kingdom of God, verse 9, that there's something bigger than the circumstances of day-to-day life, which is pretty grim for a lot of the folks that we encounter in our day-to-day existence. The best way that we can bring peace and hope and healing to people is by praying with them. You realize how brilliant prayer is as a strategy for loving people? It's non-confrontational, right? You're coming up to somebody and you're saying, how can I pray for you? And they may, they may think, well, you're a buffoon. Prayer is silly. What's it going to accomplish? But they'll usually humor you. It's got to be a pretty hard person who's like, no, nope, I don't, no thank you. So it's non-confrontational, and, but you get to focus on their needs, right? What can I do to help you? I, I think prayer works. How can I help you by praying for you, right? And they'll tell you something about their needs, something that they would never tell you in, in, in pretty much any other context, right? They're not going to tell you about their, their mom who's dying from cancer at that moment or how they're about to be evicted. Like how, how often do you get that conversation with people that you just meet at the bus stop, right? But when you ask how I can pray for you, well, now they open up and tell you some of their deepest needs. And when we get to pray, when we model that faith in Jesus, we're, we're bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on these earthly issues that can seem so overwhelming and consuming to us at times. And we demonstrate our faith that God can change this situation, that he has the power to do it. He cares enough to do it. So prayer is an amazing tool for us to use if we'll just do it if we'll just it's just as simple as hey how can i pray for you it's a great way to get to know somebody's name a lot of times people won't even share their names with us but would you just yeah as i pray for you can you just tell me your name so i can just say your name to god too it's a great way to get to know people And then, you know, ideally, we want to give people an opportunity to encounter Jesus in his own words, right? We have his spirit within us. We're called to go into the world to reveal him to people, but there's nothing like the very words of Jesus, right? Very words of Scripture. And so, in my experience, uh, usually the first time I meet somebody is not the time when they're eager to hear about Scripture, unless they have a background and, you know, I'm... um, you know, and it brings them back to their old days when they used to be part of a church. But, uh, you know, as you get to know somebody, as you see them second, third, fourth time, and you keep, if you can say something like, hey, um, I was reading my Bible this morning, and I found this verse, and it made me think of you, and so I was praying for you, and I, can I just read that verse to you? And you can open up the scriptures and read that verse with them. Or if you can just, hey, I, I memorized this scripture, and I think it will encourage you. That just flows naturally into it. And again, you're demonstrating love. And as God's Spirit works, hopefully somebody's responding to that and they're saying, wow, yeah, that's helpful. That's meaningful. I want more of that. I need more of that. And so ideally you can sit down with somebody eventually, with this person of peace, ideally, and start to read through the Gospels together. Let's see who Jesus is. Let's try to be like Jesus. 
And as that person gets in there and they get excited about it, maybe, maybe before you even sit down, just you and that person, maybe they're like, well, I've got to bring some people along for this. And that's ideally what you want to do because you want to help them reach their network, right? So they bring five, ten, maybe family members, maybe friends, maybe neighbors. But ideally, you can sit down with them and help them to unfold the scriptures about Jesus with their network of people. It, take, it can take years to get this far. But if we don't ever start somewhere, <laughs> and then the timer doesn't start, right? We've got we to start by connecting with people now, finding that pers- person of peace, building up that relationship of trust through praying for them, sharing scriptures, and then, hey, let's sit down and read this. And let's, let's, who, who, would you, who else do you think would be interested in knowing this? So you've heard us talk about missional groups. Pastor Steve just talked about it in his video a second ago. Uh, this is part of what we're trying to accomplish with missional groups. Now, right now, missional groups for us is a bunch of people who love Jesus getting together and kind of holding each other accountable for are you seeking opportunities to be impactful on the lives of the people around you? Are you trying to make disciples? Connect, grow, serve, disciple. Are you trying to help people move along that path? Right? But there's another step to what missional groups are supposed to accomplish. Ideally, as we're keeping each other accountable to be impactful in the lives of people, everybody in the missional group finds that person of peace. Does that make sense? And so if there are five people in the missional group, well, now you have five people of peace that all those five people are branching off to. And as those people of peace bring their networks together, well, now you have five more groups that have met together. But... You're not talking about those five questions that Pastor Steve went through this fall, right? That we talk about in missional groups. How are you being changed by Jesus? Where are you experiencing life-giving biblical community? You know the five questions. If you don't, they're in the Welcome Center on a little card there. It's a good thing to have just to keep yourself accountable to on a day-to-day basis. But that, that group with your person of peace, you're reading the Gospels together. You're helping them know who Jesus is and, and want to have life with him. And then when that network of people are absolutely fascinated by Jesus and they, they've taken hold of who he is, well, now that missional group becomes similar to what we're doing currently within our church where it's, well, let's hold each other accountable to impacting the lives of other people. And now that little group that got together with that person of peace, now they branch out. This is how multiplication happens, right? And it keeps spreading. And it it could take decades, but that's what we should be striving to do. That's what Jesus is showing us here, is how this works. There's these two phases of, of these groups as we've designed them. Jesus doesn't call them missional groups. That's all right. We're doing our best job to replicate what he talks about here, right? But You have this missional group holding each other accountable, and then it branches off to these groups that are trying to be outward-focused, sharing who Jesus is with other people. And then they become these holding each other accountable, and then they reach outward. All right? Well, so if you're like me, you know, I'm I'm a pastor, and I kind of make this stuff work on a day-to-day basis my head spins a little bit when I start to think about that multiplication stuff. I'm just not great with spatial relationships. Like, I need to draw it out to see it. It's a lot of logistics, right? It can get a little bit messy, like all these relationships. And 
And at the same time, we're trying to put this structured, formal environment on these organic relationships. It's easy for us to risk, it's easy for us to lose focus on what the whole core of all this is, and that's worshiping Jesus, right? <laughs> we can get so worried on, well, I got to find a person in peace, and we got to get a group together, and how, where are we going to meet, and what time do we... It's all about worshiping Jesus. And Jesus, I think, foresaw that it's easy to get distracted about this stuff. As we look a little further in the chapter here, the 72 disciples that he sent out in pairs return. And they're just gushing. They're so excited about what they've seen happen as the Holy Spirit has worked through them. They've seen miraculous things happen. And Jesus affirms it. He says, yeah, that's, it's just like I planned, right? It's my power that went. What, did, what else did you expect? But verse 20, he says, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We're always, in the midst of all this, supposed to rejoice in Jesus. That's the whole core, the whole heart of this. All of this, all of this multiplication, all these steps, these principles, this is all stuff that we naturally do if we're just captivated by the Savior of mankind. If what He's done in our lives has really transformed us, right? We, we can't help but share. And we can't help but want to bring people into the same life change. So it's, it's necessary for us as individuals to just be absolutely smitten by who Jesus is. And for us to want to be just like Him. And and one of the ways, one of the most characteristic things we see about him is the way he loves his father. He just adores his father. And that's how we should be in our relationship with our God. Just utterly obsessed and wondering in awe, worship and love. And in the success we enjoy, in the failure we endure, we have to rejoice in Jesus well, uh, back in 2017, we had a team of folks go over to Ireland to spend some time with two of our missionaries there, Josh and Denise Stewart. Um, and you may know our former youth pastor here, Donnie Denke. He got to be part of that uh, group that went over there and spent time with the stewards. And Donnie came back, and he was gushing a lot like these disciples were. He's just so excited Josh Stewart is a great guy. Um, they have a great ministry over there, but they have a focus, a laser-sharp focus on making disciples in Ireland. And Donnie was really challenged. And one of the things he came back and shared was that our missionary there, Josh Stewart, had said, you can't be a disciple of Jesus without making disciples of Jesus. Did you get it? You can't be a disciple of Jesus you are not a disciple of Jesus unless you are making disciples of Jesus. Jesus, at his core, was a disciple maker, right? It's what he did in his ministry. And, and a disciple is simply somebody who follows in the way of his teacher, right? Who tries to be like his master. And so if we're not making disciples, then we're not being like Jesus, And that, so that's tough, you know. 
And sometimes it can be difficult to identify exactly what God's doing. God works slowly sometimes, or he doesn't work in obvious ways. We don't know what's going on in the lives of people. But ideally, every one of us who says, I follow Jesus, can point to at least one other person who's following Jesus and investing his life in somebody else, her life in somebody else. And that there's, there are generations that we can point to. It's a challenging bar, y'all. It's actually impossible. Like, do you see that? It's impossible. Humanly, it's impossible to do this on a regular basis. It's a supernatural thing. Like, I don't have the power to transform somebody's life. It's only God working in me. But you know what I do have? I do have the firsthand experience that God has done that in my own life. And it's, it's cool, you know, to be married to somebody like my wife who I can look at her and I, I'm just as positive that she knows Jesus and loves him with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength as I do. And then I, then I get to see my kids and I get to see what God's doing in their lives. And there's just all these people that God puts close around me, my, the Mercy Drops team. And, and you get to see the transformation that takes place in people's lives. And you say, yeah, that's impossible, but it is possible. So all things are possible with God, right? Mary knows that. Nothing is impossible for God. And so, let's enjoy Him. Let's worship Him. Let's rejoice in Him. But let's make an impact in the lives of people like Jesus did. Let's trust him to enable us to do it. Imagine in 2024 what it could look like. 366 days from now, if we could get back here together right before New Year's in 2024, what can you accomplish in 366 days? It's a leap year. So you get a bonus day. I mean, that's a lot of time. If we just love people well, we love our way into their lives and we can serve them. Just one person of peace. And then they, you just show them what it looks like to love people well. You show them who Jesus is, what it looks like to be like Jesus. And then they infuse their network with the love and the truth of Jesus. What if we became more like our teacher, became more like our master? We see his influence through us, multiplying in the people around us. Let's pray and ask for his help to accomplish that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the amazing, challenging mission that you've given to us. We can't do it on our own. We're absolutely in need of you, and that's, that's the reality of our salvation. That's, that's our whole relationship with you, Jesus. We are absolutely in need of you for everything. So we thank you that you have provided all that we need we thank you that you have given Jesus your life on the cross to pay for our sin, that you have risen from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection, that we have that same hope, but that we're not just biding our time here, checking our watches until you come back one day, Jesus. No, we have an opportunity and a mission and the privilege now to represent you in the world. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to love people well. I pray that you would help us to go in your full sufficiency and to stay focused on the mission that you've given to us. Help us to be like you, Jesus. 
We pray that you would do amazing things through us for your glory. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.